There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I'm coming at you with episode number 19. Today, I welcome Andrea Todd. Andrea is the Culinary Business Development Director in Food Service for Dessert Holdings. Dessert Holdings, they've got a few different brands from Atalanta Cheesecake to the original Cakery to Lawler's Cheesecakes to most recently, Diane's Fine Desserts. So, we're going to jump into everything dessert, what it takes to become the, the lead culinary salesperson at a food service manufacturer. I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this. So thank you for joining me here on episode 19. Let's go ahead and welcome in. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me here on the Titans of Food Service podcast. I've been really looking forward to our conversation welcome. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So I want to know all about your journey here in food service, how you got in and the steps kind of along the way to get to where you are today. So why don't we start from the very beginning of how did you get into the food industry? You know, I I fell into this amazing industry um, when I finished my undergrad, which was in business and a minor in art. I'm sure not many people say that, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted an element of creativity to uh, you know my life, and art an art minor uh, was the way to get that. While you know having a business background that I knew would uh, you know suit me well throughout my career, so I graduated in 2007 uh, right into a recession. So jobs were. Uh, hard to get. And (laughs) I actually uh, moved back home and there was a bakery for sale in my hometown. And my mom and I decided on a whim that we should just go ahead and buy this bakery. I grew up with a, you know, mom and grandma who were very much, uh, you know, home bakers and home cooks. And it was, it's always been a thing of passion and and a way to show your love. Um, So I don't know. I mean, it just kind of happened. And we just signed on and bought this bakery. And I think the owner gave us about a week of training. And then I basically taught myself how to decorate cakes. And off we went uh, headfirst into this venture that neither of us had really a ton of experience in before that. So it was wow. definitely, you know, getting in the trenches and learning on the fly. So, uh, yeah, so that was kind of my first entrance into the food world. Of course, I'd been in, I'd been a server and things like that uh, through college. Sure. So the restaurant life is always something that has had a calling for me. And where'd you go to college? Yeah, I went to Shadron State College, which is in Nebraska. And then eventually after the, the bakery pursuit, I ended up going back and getting uh, a baking and pastry uh, certificate from Auguste Escoffier 
in Boulder, Colorado. So I eventually realized, like, this is what I really want to do for my career and have since gone off and gotten my master's from the Culinary Institute of America. So I think we're in the food service world for a while now. (laughs) Definitely. When you when you and your mom found the the bakery and purchased that, had you been had you ever personally baked yourself growing up, or was this all brand new to you? Yeah, uh, definitely had been you know baking at home, and uh, you know uh, I don't know if you know 4-H, but like my my Nebraska is showing here, where you know you kind <laughs> of enter into. Yeah, essentially kind of like a state fair type of thing and you can, you know, put in your your muffin recipe or whatever. So definitely have been a baker for, you know, most of my life. But through, you know, going to pastry school and things like that, realized that this is, you know, the life that I enjoy and uh, it's perfect for uh, perfectionist type people like myself. <laughs> yes, yes. My my wife, growing up, she was big into baking. And so she's done some wedding cakes, all just kind of more passion projects, but wedding cakes and birthday cakes. And so I know a little bit about uh, on the baking side, because she still loves to do it. And every year for like the holidays, her and her uh, mom and, and sister will get together and they'll do a big baking day. And so I, I reap the benefits of that for sure. Yeah. And I'm always so impressed by what she can make. Oh, I know. Yeah. And it is, it is true. You have to find lots of people who are willing to partake in your desserts. It's always a little harder after the first of the year. People are always like, oh no, I'm on a cleanse or whatever. So yeah, (laughs) it does come with perks if you're willing to, you know, have some calories. That's a good point. We are also big consumers of on the Food Network, you know, you have the baking championships. There's the Halloween version. I think there's the the Christmas version. We like those as well. And then she's also watched the British Baking Championship. I don't know if that's maybe on Netflix. But I don't know if you've seen those yourself. Yeah, yeah. I know my sister-in-law is a huge fan of the British Bake Off. And so I hear all sorts of feedback about it. It sounds like they do some fun classes as well that you can like sign up yeah. and bake with the pros. So you know, yeah. maybe those are some some longer-term goals for me. <laughs> totally. Yeah, that would be really cool. When you and your mom started at the bakery, how did you know the business was for sale? It, I mean, I'm from a very small town, so okay. it is like, like that's where you got your graduation cakes from, and that's like, if you had a birthday, that's where you went, right? So everybody knew Cakes by Connie was the name of it before, and, and so you would... I think honestly, it was like the realtor who, of course, like had worked for my parents at one point in time. And so, you know, it just, it's a very small place where everyone is always chatting. What's the name of the town? Alliance, Nebraska. Alliance, Nebraska. I have to say, I've never heard of Alliance, Nebraska before. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's home of. Ch- Carhenge, which is um, okay. like a creative version of a Stonehenge uh, made of old cars. And it's on the way to like Mount Rushmore or if you were going to go to Sturgis or something. So it's kind of oh. a drive through kind of place. But yeah, there's a few uh, kitschy things there as well. Nice. And do you and your mom still own and operate the, the bakery? 
We don't. Uh, we kind of took our learnings, and uh, she actually went back to school and got her master's in uh, counseling, and I went off to pastry school, and we took that as our, you know, okay, that was that was an interesting uh, entrance into the food service world, and I don't think it was her dream, but, uh, you know, it was a really great experience for us both. What were some of the learnings that you, that you had through that process? Maybe it's personal or professional? I think I would do a hundred things differently now if I opened something okay. today. Uh, you know, just from the way that you can organize yourself to to mass produce things a little bit more ahead of time versus always doing everything one by one. And yeah, I think honestly, one of the biggest learnings is just, you know, ensuring that you are able to sell your product for what uh, will be meaningful to you from, you know, the amount of work you're putting into it, as well as making sure that it, you know, covers your cost of goods and gives you some money in the end as well. So I think those are big things where the baking world can be really tough because it comes with a ton of labor and detail and time uh, that sometimes I don't think is always appreciated. So I think how you market that uh, is really important to, you know, make sure that consumers are appreciating the amount of work or or the ingredients that you're using. Yeah, that makes sense. I could imagine it would be hard to cost out. You know, I mean, you could get the your raw materials, you know, the ingredients to make the finished product, but your time itself. How do you calculate that and make it have it make sense to the end consumer? I under, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So would you have, you had a challenge with producing the products ahead of time. A lot of times would it become, someone would come in, order, and then you'd make it? Yeah, and just, uh, I would say like, it's things that you learn through the course of working in this industry of, you know, what you can do ahead of time, like making batters ahead of time and letting those, you know, uh, potentially be ready to bake off versus, you know, always just making everything that day. Um, there are ways to kind of make some things hold a little longer um, so that it's easier for you to mass produce and stuff like that. Right. So from there, you went back uh, to get your culinary degree. And what was the next step after you received your degree? Yeah, uh, lots of um, restaurants, uh, hotel, catering, smaller bakeries, and uh, moved around a ton. I lived in uh, Denver and then to Phoenix and Chicago and just felt like I got a ton of experience, uh, you know, working, like I said, for some smaller independently owned places as well as, you know, a massive hotel chain as well. So some of those I, again, would never do again, um, but it was good experience and it's always helpful to have that hands-on, uh, especially in this, the, you know, the role I'm in today, it does, it does give you a lot of insight. So. Yeah, no, I, I believe that working in restaurants, hotels on the bakery side, what is, what does someone's day-to-day life look like in that role? Uh, early, 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 early uh, days. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, at one point, I think I was going to work at like three o'clock in the morning most days, or then, you know, taking one shift as the baker, 
uh, a week. That would be so. It'd be like go to work at three a.m. four days a week, and then on your fifth day, go in at eleven p.m. and do the baking. And so, like very, uh, very tough hours, long days. Uh, you know, 12 plus hour days. But it, it it does come with like a huge sense of accomplishment at the end of every day where uh, you go in and you have, you know, whatever, you have to make a thousand cupcakes, but mm-hmm. then when you're done, you're done. You know, it comes with uh, this beautiful product that you have that you can see and appreciate all the hard work that you've put in for that day. So it does come, you know, with that. But uh yeah, then you're ready, you know, to put your feet up at the end of the day for sure. I mean, twelve hours getting there at three a.m. working twelve hours—that's a long shift, a lot of long time to be on your feet as well. Uh, you know, definitely being in the food service industry, chefs or uh, pastry chefs or whoever it may be, it's a long time on your feet, and people don't necessarily understand that, and that could be draining. I there's been days, you know, I have a a desk job and, and I also go out and make sales calls, probably similar to what you do now. Yeah. And there's days where I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna put my my computer up taller and I can do calls, you know, virtual calls from standing up. And after an hour or two, like my feet are, are you know, oh, yeah. getting tired. <laughs> totally. So I can't imagine doing twelve hours oh, um, I know. every day that way. Your body gets used to it, but um, yeah, you do fall out of uh, shape for it. I was in a operator kitchen last week running around and it is you realize what you've lost (laughs) right so you go from the restaurants and the hotels moving around to different cities how did you get into the manufacturing side of the business honestly it was a a moment of like i can't do this forever this the hours are grueling and you know, the pay is often not that great. And so you're kind of forced into what are my options? Luckily, I, as I said, I had a background in business. So that really did give me probably the leg up I needed to exit into the other side of the industry. But I started working uh, through a, an agency called um, CSSI in Chicago. Yeah. And they basically, you have chefs that help food manufacturers go out and sell. So, you know, you you sell everything, right? It wasn't just, I wasn't just a pastry chef. I was selling, you know, gyro meat or yogurt or, you know, dehydrated butter or, uh, you know, in, in the end, I did uh, work with one of uh, the companies that I work for now and uh, worked for the original cakery. So it's like, you do a ton of different things, right? And it really teaches right. you how to balance your balance your time and how to like change thinking and you know you go from being on the bench and developing some recipes to like creating a presentation deck and going out and helping you know helping sell that product so mm-hmm. it was definitely like the jump start to be on uh, the food manufacturing side of things yeah for sure when you were at CSSI, well, first, I guess CSSI, the way it works from what from what you've kind of described is, let's say a food manufacturer can contract out with CSSI and then they pair that manufacturer with culinary professionals. That, mm-hmm. And then they can go out and make sales calls together. Is that correct? Correct, yep. Kind of like, um, yeah, it's almost like a, a, a trained person on the culinary side. You know, the salesperson might have the relationship and then you have the culinary side and it's actually a nice pair together. Yeah, exactly. 
when you were at CSSI, did they, you know, to go from, you know, being a baker onto the sales side, did they give you formal training or was it really, here's the products go out and sell? I would say, I mean, there was definitely like learning via, you know, your mentors and peers at uh, at the company. You know, we did some things as far as, you know, learning about your personalities and kind of like what your, uh, your style would be um, and how that that could potentially, you know, work for you. But yeah, it definitely, I mean, as all things in the food industry, a lot of it is uh, get in the deep end and and go. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't recall like, you know, a ton of like, this is your sales training. It's more of, I think a lot of it is built around how you are as uh, networking and relationship building and, you know, tying back to, you know, my, you know, upbringing, right? Like when you come from somewhere where you know everyone, it just, I would say it kind of like sets you up to be to know how important a network is, right? And like my parents were entrepreneurs. So like you do realize how much those relationships matter. And so I would say that's probably a big part of kind of how the sales side of it became successful is just through, you know, the relationship building side of it. Yeah, that makes sense. When you are out making a presentation to a customer, are there times where you feel that maybe they're looking for a specific item and you can build a new product or create a new product for a specific customer? And how does that process look? Yeah, I mean, as far as, uh, you know, if, if like in my life today, if I'm with a customer and they want to create something new, it, it definitely is always a, a conversation with the greater business of, you know, does that fit into our goals? Do we have, you know, all the equipment to make that like come to life? And then basically my job would be then to create a way to make it happen. So if there are guardrails that like maybe we can't cross, how do we get creative and figure out, well, here's a substitution, you know, we could do this, but not this. And, you know, maybe it goes from being a six layer cake to a four layer cake or, you know, you kind of like have to kind of make it work so that it works in mass. But yeah, it's, it's definitely a collaborative process between uh, the customer, the end user, and then, you know, the, the team at the manufacturing facility and how that could actually come to life. So I'm kind of the go between on, you know, taking the creative side and trying to like remember to uh, not lose that because sometimes I think the guardrails can start to make you feel like you're not having as much fun, uh, but still get to a place that everybody's really excited about the product. Right, right. That makes sense. I recently had somebody on. She was the founder of a food trend company, and she was talking about different food trends. Uh, Specifically, I was asking her food service questions, and she mentioned, you know, if you look at COVID during the pandemic, a lot of people were at home, kind of cooped up. Maybe they became a home in-home baker. I know we represent uh, a yeast company. I remember oh. the demand for yeast was insane. Yeah, and so you have a lot of in-home bakers. But now that we've come out of the pandemic, the the dynamic, the trend has really shifted. Back then, it was drive-throughs were popular, uh, fast casual was popular. But now people are 
want to get out and they want to be in, she said, in loud places, you know, that's a bar or a restaurant Mm -hmm. or a place where kids can go. And I'm sure desserts and I play a huge part in that is, are there food trends that you follow or are there ones that may be upcoming that you're trying to create new products around? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's great, right? This uh, place we are right now where we have access to so much, right? You just, I mean, Google tells you a thousand things, right? You can go on Eater or Thrillist and uh, go on your Instagram and, you know, there's just tons and tons of available options to uh, help you get creative and research. I would say, um, you know, some flavor profiles that are kind of fun and interesting, especially in terms of dessert, are like ube, so like the purple, you know, sweet potato, purple yam, uh, the dragon fruit right now. I mean, things that have color are super exciting because dessert can really be pretty brown sometimes. So how do you like make a a pop with some color and really drive some interest as to your point, right? More people are coming in and they're sitting down again. So how do you attract people's attention as something, you know, is on a plate as it comes through? Uh, If it's purple and, you know, has cotton candy on it or something like, that's grabbing everybody's attention and then it's, you know, getting people to, that weren't going to order dessert to, oh, what's that? Let me have that too, right? So I think those eye-catching colors are are something that we talk about a lot right now as far as, you know, trends to kind of keep in mind as we uh, build out new product. Yeah, for sure. Ube, I've heard of that before. You know, as you mentioned, it's it's purple Mm -hmm. and and same thing with dragon fruit, which I believe is pink. Uh, yes, it is very pink. eye-catching. Yes. Yeah. I remember one time I did a, a training. It was a drink mix that we had. It was made. It was a drink mix for cocktails. And one of the recipes that they gave or one of the selling tactics that they taught us was if a, a restaurant could get like a big glass and fill up the, the drink mix and it's a bright color and you can add in uh, was it dry ice and walk it across the restaurant? You can give away. There's some restaurants that took on this idea, like you can give it away for free, and everybody else in that restaurant says, "Wow, look at that drink! I have to have one of those. That's really cool looking." So I understand what the colors. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. And dry ice, anything that like smokes or whatever, obviously, you know, <laughs> something for like sure. that could be really fun. Coming out of COVID, what do you think is the future of the dessert industry? How's it going to look different into the future? I think uh, some things that are really seem to be top of mind right now are uh, still more individual size desserts where, you know, pre-COVID, we were really big into the super shareable, everybody get a fork Mm -hmm. in there. I think that's coming back a little bit as we continue to celebrate more, but uh, those individual offerings, whether they're, uh, you know, a little bit for me and a little bit for you or something that is sealed and just easy to like be portable as you're, you know, back to traveling and and on the go a little bit more. But I think it is definitely, um, it is different than it was. I think we have to be prepared for a little little bit of the shareable and then some of these that are uh, a bit more just for me 
to sub, you know, to kind of substitute that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Have you had any interesting or, or surprising lessons that you've learned in the last few years coming out of COVID? You know, there's, I ask people a lot of times questions about COVID because it, especially on the food service side, there's been such drastic changes on consumer trends and just the just the restaurant segments that are now you know, booming or maybe falling in favor. What are some of the surprising lessons that you've maybe learned over the last few years? I think transparency is really huge right now. Okay. And it probably should have always been, but I do think that I find there's more of an open dialogue now that's happening, especially between you know, manufacturers and operators. What are, what are my challenges? Am I short on something ingredient wise and does you know the operator have a lead to help get that ingredient in faster do we you know maybe have some hurdles that we need to work through together to make sure that you know everything stays in supply and things like that I, we all experienced you know the the massive delays that happened from you know those tankers just like stuck out in the ocean for a while there, right? And so just how do we become more transparent among each other and and collaborate to find a solution? I know I have a lot of chef friends who have spent tons of time in the last year, you know, looking at different specs of protein and, you know, trying to find a solution, things like that. So anything that um, I think we can do to help our operator partners and then vice versa, make sure that you know we're all we're all in it together basically i think is probably my biggest learning where you know the food service industry is like a family anyway so mm-hmm. you know how do we make sure everybody's successful and and prepared as much as we can be right and in your day to day you're traveling around quite a bit throughout the country international a little bit too yeah, I uh, I support our sales team in the U.S. and Canada, so okay. I'm all over. It just week by week, different part of the country. It's it's pretty <laughs> fun. You know, in the food industry, I feel like there's let's take barbecue for example. If you're in South Carolina or Texas or California, there's different styles of barbecue. You know, like here in California where I'm at, tri-tip is a big thing. But you have tri-tip, you'll never find tri-tip in Texas or other areas because they think it's too dry. You know, it's just, it's, it's really a regional thing. Yeah. What about for desserts? When you go to different parts of the country or up into Canada, is there regional differences? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think, you know, Canada has a ton of international influences. I was just in the Toronto area last week and had amazing Indian food uh, that came with like this really delicious mango ice cream with rose water. And like, would we ever have that, you know, in Colorado here where I am? I mean, maybe, but like, it was super fun. And they had uh, the end of the meal came with like a very uh, special like palate cleanser as well. And so I think... uh, whether it's, you know, the Toronto area or Vancouver has a ton of Asian influence with mm. like matcha style desserts or like Japanese cheesecakes and things like that. Uh, Canada is very lucky to have uh, such great international influence. And then, yeah, I do think that there's also a ton of regional differences in the United States as well. I just had a friend come back from St. Louis over the weekend and said, 
I had gooey butter cake and that is something <laughs> that, you know, we, we love here as well. And, uh, you know, something that we make at dessert holdings. So it's like, it was really fun to hear, you know, her say like, oh, I had this amazing dessert and know that like, that was something like super close to home and that it really resonated with her. So yeah, I think there's, there's definitely tons of regional plays out there. Yeah, I'm sure. Is it, from what it sounds like, I, I know it's, I'm sure it's very difficult and there are the tough days, but it sounds like you have a pretty fun job getting to try and, and sell uh, desserts. That's got to be a lot of fun. It is. It is super fun. Um, yeah, the days that something goes wrong and you think to yourself, like, did brownies just like sort of ruin my day today is still comical. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's definitely a fun industry. I'm a food service broker, mm-hmm. and on the broker side, a lot of times we will, if we go into an account, we'll say, "Hey, maybe can we cook?" And so let's just say we're gonna we're gonna cook a steak, right? Just throw it on the grill, and you're gonna try right there. It wouldn't necessarily pre-make a steak. I guess I could, but kind of want the the operator to try it right then and there. When it mm-hmm. comes to baking, do you make sure that the products are whether they're pre-slacked out or baked off before you go to the account, or do you do, do you like to do that process uh, in front of the operator? Yeah, I mean, I one of the things that I feel like is really important in front of an operator is to show not only how to you know maybe cut the cake or you know how to handle it. Um, you know, if you're pulling uh, five slices a day and like slacking those out, how to maybe uh, prepare for your day. But it's m- more so I like to work with the operator on how can we make this unique for you. So I typically you know try to have the product slacked and then you know really get into okay we have this base cake how do we make this super cool for you you know are we adding a dragon fruit sauce to it are we blending it up in a shake are we you know just how and being collaborative with the chef to say like oh we want to make sure it only has three steps to make sure that it goes really quickly it needs to you know, be up and ready to serve within so many minutes mm-hmm. and making sure that we're working together to to build a successful dessert that then could be presented to someone, you know, in operations and they could do some testing with it and, and then hopefully it could become a menu item, right? So it's all about making sure that it, that they are excited about it, but also that it works uh, and that, right. you know, it it's kind of foolproof for, uh, someone you know in the back of house who maybe has no training in pastry, right? So, you know, how do we make it super easy for them? Sure. Do you see a lot nowadays operations or chefs that were previously scratch bakers moving to more, you know, whether it's a labor issue or cost issue, but moving more to a pre-made product? Yeah, I think that's happening a lot right now. Yeah, to your points exactly. Ingredient cost is super high, especially on things, you know, dairy and, and stuff like that, that you need when you bake. So I, I have seen a lot of that. And then it's just, uh, you know, we're, we're the pros, right? So we can make cheesecake in our sleep. And, you know, what's that risk to you as an operator? Are you looking at having a cheesecake that's cracked or maybe it didn't get done enough? And then that's, that's just a loss for you that day, right? So, 
that's a good solution. You know, having something that is that you can feel proud about. The ingredients are great in it, but it comes to you uh, frozen, sliced, and ready to go. If you have all of a sudden a huge demand on cheesecake, well, you can just pull a few extra slices and they'll be ready to go, right. you know, shortly. So you don't have that flexibility when you know you're making it back of house. When you're out, you're out. So I do I do see some some trending towards. Uh, getting the labor part, the ingredient part, both are big hurdles for operators right now. Yeah. I remember when I first started in the food service sales industry or food service industry, I had somebody that was kind of a mentor and he had been on the latter part of his career and we had brought him into our company and he his segment that he really focused on was hotels. And I remember one of the very first hotels he took me to was this massive hotel and the chef, it was a new chef and he was a scratch chef. So everything from, you know, the, the entree to the dessert was scratch made. And he said, you know, you, I have these, uh, these products and solutions, maybe that'll help you out. Cause looking around there's, you only have so much labor and to be a scratch chef like this and looking around the room, not being very many people, you're not going to make it. I mean, it's going to be way too difficult. And sure enough, we went back to that same account a few months later and, and that chef was, no longer there, you know, couldn't keep up with the scratch. Uh, you know, I think great intentions, but it was difficult yeah. to execute. Yeah, definitely. I think that that just happens sometimes. If you don't have the labor to help you execute, it can be a giant failure. For sure. What about any new items that you have and that you're showing? Anything that you're really excited about? Uh, right now, we're really excited about soaked cakes. So uh, we have a okay. vanilla truss leches cake that came out in the last year or so. And I just, I love this cake because it is, it, it works in many ways. So it's sort of like an idea of like a cheesecake or something that's a great base and you can change the sauces seasonally and things like that. So, but it's, uh, it's like this two layer cake with this dairy soak and then whipped cream in between the layers and on top. And it is just like this delicious vanilla, super clean tasting cake that you can use a lot of different ways. And even though it's, you know, a, a soaked cake, so, you know, you think tres leches and, and it kind of has, uh, you feel like it might stick into like a little bit of a, a hole. I really find that it works great in a lot of applications and you can, you know, whether you call it like a Chantilly cake or a cream, a whipped cream cake or something like that, it, it works on a lot of menus. So that's something that we're really excited about right now. And then just taking that idea and kind of running with it. So uh, we have, you know, some new product that's coming out and, you know, if you're interested, you can call me about it, right? But it's like yeah. a cereal <laughs> milk cake. So like a an idea of that same uh, soak, but it's like a cereal milk soak. So it's pretty fun. And so that's coming out soon. So yeah, those are, that's kind of the, the fun stuff. I like that. What's a cereal milk? It, it, yeah. When I think of cereal milk, I'm thinking, okay, I have a bowl of Lucky Charms with milk and, you, and it essentially, you know, the colors bleed into the milk and, and change colors. Is that what yeah, that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, yes, a, a milk that has the flavor of the cereal that was left over, right? And then um, that's soaked into the cake and then it's really colorful. So back to that like Instagrammable 
eye-catching mm. things that go through the dining room, I think it's going to be a big hit. So, yeah, that's uh, we're we're out showing that uh, you know in the next few weeks, and hopefully it'll it'll come you know come out soon. That's exciting. When it comes to social media, that kind of you mentioned social media in the dessert category, I would imagine it's a good way for restaurants or operators to showcase their operation online is here's this beautiful, you know, soaked cake, or here's this great new Ube product that we have Mm -hmm. because it's colorful and people connect online. I'm sure that really helps with drive business for these operators. And I'm sure for you, it's a selling point to help get people in the door. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think that, um, you know, social media continues to be, uh, super inspirational for everyone. Uh, I think we find inspiration from social media. We don't do a ton of posting on like a Instagram type. We have, you know, Mm -hmm. our LinkedIn and things that, you know, some of our core products are shown on as well as our website that is of course full of beautiful images that kind of make your mouth water and uh, yes, yes, exactly. It kind of gets you excited about dessert. So Yes, I would agree. I love that. Okay, what about the people or the students right now that are in college or maybe somebody working in a restaurant and they say, you know what, I want to get into or onto the manufacturing side and I want to be on the sales side. What would be your advice to them? Uh, I would say, I mean, it does take, uh, back to earlier, I think I mentioned, you know, being uh, comfortable networking and, and being out in front of people Uh, So, you know, those are good skills to make sure that you have or to, you know, to polish if, you know, public speaking isn't something that you love. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are going to be moments that you have to be out in front of people talking. So those are, I think, historically, you know, some restaurant chefs aren't always the people who love to be out in front of folks, right? So it is a bit of a different skill set there. But I... I feel like you should go down the path of whatever you're passionate about. So for me, you know, working for a company that manufactures desserts is like, it's just like the perfect fit, right? Like I love dessert. I, you know, am a pastry chef. It's easy for me to go sell dessert because I love it. So, you know, do things that like you feel very passionate about and it, and it makes it easy to go out and sell that. So that would be, like yeah, that would be my advice. And then just, yeah, continue to network and find, you know, there's a lot of great resources out there through LinkedIn and things like that, that you can, mm-hmm. I feel like people are always open for mentorship and, and guidance on like, you know, how to connect you in a place that you want to be in and, and help you succeed. So that's great. And what about for you looking into the future? What would be the ultimate goal? Oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm not much of a, like, I don't, every day is a new day around here. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I would love to stay in the dessert world um, and just continue to grow. And, you know, uh, our company has grown drastically over the last few years. And I think it's really mm-hmm. fun to be in a company that has, uh, has such growth because it makes it new all the time. And I think that that's, that's probably the key, you know, for me to find some happiness is like, make sure that it stays exciting. So, 
you know, uh, make sure that I'm passionate about whatever, and then that it it remains exciting as as time goes on. So, but yeah, That's great. I don't know if you have a crystal ball, send it over. Yeah, I know. You know, there's one thing about the food service industry I found. One, you don't pick it; it picks you. It it, it somehow it presents itself in your life, and then it's hard to get out once you're in. Yeah. Um, and there's so many to- so many twists and turns. You know, I know on on the broker side, it's before I started in the brokerage industry, it was a lot of independent brokers, and then they all became big, large national brokers. And now it's, it, it, you know, it's it's constantly evolving. And I think it's that's not just the broker industry, the distribution, the manufacturing, all different kinds. It's always changing. So you have to st- you have to keep up, which is not easy to do. Yeah, it keeps you on your toes for sure. <laughs> it, it definitely does. It definitely does. Well, Andrew, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me here on the Titans of Food Service podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation. But before we go, I have to ask, would you ever go back and own another bakery? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. If it included like a beach view, perhaps. <laughs> you know what? There are. I, I live not too far from the beach and there are uh, a few bakeries right there by the water. Uh, Susie Cakes yeah. is a good one. And uh, I think they're probably just local here in Orange County, but that's a great goal. I like that. Yeah, yeah. You got to... Uh, I, I envision that I would want to have some sort of, you know, reprieve at the end of the day. So, you know, the water, a, a great sunset. Yeah, that West Coast life you have. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, th- thank you so much for joining me here. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to me. I know there's going to be a lot of people that this resonates with. And I think a lot of you are going to find this conversation very interesting. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. 